Hey, morning, everyone. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Jim, and we just want to say welcome to Ascent. Thanks for joining us here. Love that you came today. Uh, I just want to build off what Bill said. Who was actually here last night for that big event in the parking lot? Anybody come? Nobody came. Okay, there's one person who came. Thanks for coming last night. That's great. Uh, it, I, I don't know who was here, but the whole parking lot was full. And it was an awesome event. Food trucks, people like hanging out on top of their cars or in the beds of their trucks, like watching this huge screen, greatest showman playing. I tell you what, you guys, it, a lot of you guys know by now that we, Ascent has changed course and we are buying this property in this building. And so we're like super, super excited about that. Um, but last night was a vision for what we see in the future. And I, I really wish some more of you guys had seen it. Next time that uh, the city hosts something like that, come out here. That's a vision for what we, we want to see happen down the road. It's that our property isn't like empty and alone. It's like hopping all the time with people around, uh, that the church could be part of what it means to be the hub of the city. That is an awesome idea for the future. And you got to see it last night. So there's more of that to come in our future. And I can't wait for all that to unfold. Uh, all right, so we want to start a new series today. It's called, Why Do We Do That? And we want to look for these next three weeks at some of the things that we do when we come to church that actually have a really deep meaning behind them. But some of us maybe, or if you're new to the church, you kind of dive in and you're like, why do we, why do we dip somebody <laughs> underwater? You know, or, or why do we every once in a while people come up out of their seats and they eat bread and they dip it in some grape juice? Uh, why do we sing? Who sings today, like in a group? So, you know, there's a, um, there's a few things that we do as a church that we have to ask the question, why? What, what's going on with that? We want to dive into that these next week, uh, few weeks and the deeper meaning behind it. And I want to start today, and I'll get to the one I want to tackle today in a little while. But first, I want to address the thing that got you all up out of bed this morning. Uh, I know as you sat in bed this morning, you thought, I would love to hear about my pastor's middle school love life. So you came to the right place. Um, so in 1986, I was 13, and I went to Burbank Junior High School in Boulder, now called Manhattan Middle School. Did anybody else go to Burbank? Yes, Burbank people. I love it. Burbank Junior High, that, that was back in the day, and man, I had a crush on this girl. And, and what's so cool is after the first service, everybody, like, everybody could immediately name who their middle school crush was on. Oh yeah, it was blah, blah, blah. oh yeah, it was. So I'm gonna tell you mine, except I can't share her name because she still lives around here, so <laughs> let's just protect her. Um, we're gonna call her Christy, not her name, but Christy, I had this crush on Christy you guys, I was like a puppy dog. Like, I followed this girl around just like, <laughs> for like two and a half years of middle school. Just, <laughs> and I, 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 would, I would count the number of times I got to say hi to her. Like, we'd pass each other in the hall, you know? And I would go home and just be like, oh, today was a great day because I got three, you know? <laughs> or today was not a good day. I didn't even see her. Like, I knew her schedule. Like, that was creepy even in 86. And so I, I just, I followed this girl around, Christy, for like two and a half years. Here's the big problem. She actually didn't like me. So I, I spent all this time wasting my time on this girl that ultimately didn't give a rip about me. 
So I had one moment of glory though. It, some of you guys, old time Boulder people might remember this. Way back in the day on 30th Street in Boulder, there was a nightclub that was open that was targeted toward teenagers called The Coast. Anybody remember that? The Coast. Oh, yeah. Okay. More people than were here last night. Uh, the Coast in Boulder. It was like decked out with like pool tables, video games, super fun, lots of food. It was targeted teenagers. It didn't really last long. They couldn't make a go of it for long business-wise. But I went down there one night and Christy was there and I got word like, she actually likes you. And so sure enough, man, I showed up. She was like super flirty with me that night. And like, I'm like loving this, thinking I'm great. You know, thinking I woke up the next morning, like all fired up. I'm going to ask her out, all this stuff. No kidding. It was later that day, the day after we go to the coast, I found out she was dating somebody else. She had decided the next day to date somebody else. And guess what? It turns out the guy she started dating the next day, she married like years later. So I had no chance, zero chance. And I spent all my time puppy dog mode, like chasing her around during my entire time at uh, Burbank. So we had a relationship where one of us liked the other way more than the other, like it was like a very wonky, one-sided relationship, just woo, like this. Did you know there's actually a term for this? So there's a, there's a little sociological term for these kinds of relationships. And I guarantee you everybody in this room is, has been a part of a one-sided relationship. Whether that's like romantic or your family or a friendship that you've got or something at work, like one person's more into it than you are or vice versa. We all know what that feels like. There's a term for that. It's called an asymmetrical relationship. It just doesn't add up. It's not symmetrical. There's one that cares more about the other person than, than you know, the other person does. It's a wonky deal. So I read something this last week, and I'll share it with you. And I, and I share this I, sensitively. I share this not, I, I don't want any sense of guilt or shame or anything like that. I just, I want to give this to you because I thought it was really interesting. So people have researched this. What are some of the factors that can cause an asymmetrical relationship between you and someone else? Maybe especially for somebody that you're going to marry someday. One of the factors they say is higher in asymmetrical relationships is people who choose to live together before they get married. And so I, I've been, you start to ask the question, well, why would that be? Why would, why would they end up with a higher rate of kind of this wonky relationship if you choose to live together before you get married. And what they're saying is, what can easily happen in these relationships is, you kind of um, decide or slide even into living with each other. Yeah, let's try this out. Or, um, yeah, it makes financial sense, that kind of thing. Yeah, let's just kind of see how this goes. And you kind of slide into that relationship, but you never actually make a decision. And so I actually did a wedding not too long ago for someone that was in, in those shoes where sure enough, the guy just wasn't into it compared to where she was. And they ended up got married, but there was never like a moment in that relationship where there was like a stake in the ground that said, we're deciding. And so, you know, the people who research this actually use that phrase that we go through life sometimes, not just in that area, but lots of different areas of our life. We go through our life sliding, but not deciding. 
We'll slide into things, but we never actually decide this is who I'm going to be. I think this is so true of how we relate to God. How many of us slide with our relationship with God? I know I do. Instead of actually putting a stake in the ground, make it a moment where we say, we're deciding something. We see this play out all the time. It plays out in a way where we go, yeah, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents are Christians. My grandparents were Christians. We've gone to church as long as I remember. I guess that makes me a Christian. Right? You've kind of been socialized into the faith. You've slid in there. But did you ever actually decide, no, this is who I am. You know, God doesn't have grandkids. This is going to be my faith, not my parents, not my grandparents. This is me. I'm going to decide this, not just slide into it. Or, you know, I've been going to this church and this little warehouse, used to be a Sam's Club, hearing about Jesus. I don't know. Yeah, I guess I'm a Christian. We kind of slide into it. And I'm not saying that there isn't a time for processing, but sometimes we slide and we never actually mark something. And we decide to say, this is who I am now. We slide, but we don't actually decide. So I want to I tell you a story because I think it's so interesting where we see in the scripture where decisions matter. Putting a stake in the ground matters. And so I want to I rewind you. This is like thousands of years ago. And I want to take a little scene from the Old Testament for you in the Bible that I think gives us a little glimpse of what God does with this and how God kind of sees us with sliding or deciding. So if you rewind, you know, 3,000, 3,500 years ago, you got a group of people that is today now what we call Israel. So it really started with a family, it started with a family of 12 brothers and they had this moment in their history as a family where a famine came along and they left where you think about where Israel is now. They left that area and they traveled down southwest to where modern day Egypt is. So they leave, they go to Egypt, they're looking for food and they hear that there's plenty of food in Egypt. And one of their brothers had actually gone before them and is now kind of high up in the government in Egypt. And so it works really wonderfully for these people that this family travels down and they're favored. They get food and they decide to stay. And so the people that we think of as Israel now actually spent this long period of time in Egypt first just because there was food there for them. So they go down and at first things are great, they're favored, they've got this family member who's high up, they start to have kids, they start to get ranches and land and they start to set up shop and now there's like not just a family, there's like thousands of people over decades and, and, and centuries of time. The people grow, right? Now something happens. They're there and there's like a major regime, regime change. And so we go from like favored status to now they're actually in trouble. So you, you think about um, what we think of when we hear slavery is obviously our history with it in this country and what happened with blacks in the South years ago and how one race can actually be made to serve another. Uh, that's exactly what happened in the Old Testament. When you see slavery in the New Testament, that's actually a different thing. In the Old Testament, this is exactly what's going on. 
the, the Jews have gone down to Egypt and they are now slaves in Egypt. So they're free labor and they're being put to work. And man, over time, they start to go, what are we doing here? And, and, and they start to realize, wait a second, what about the place that we came from? Hasn't God actually promised that to us long ago? Why don't we return? And so there's a leader that comes up named Moses who starts to lead the people thinking we're going to leave, think of this, thousands of people leaving now and wanting to go back home after centuries of being there. It's an incredible story. And they do. They eventually leave and they all leave out from Egypt. And you guys have seen some of the stuff with crossing the Red Sea and Moses leading the people out. All these stories are in Genesis and Exodus, by the way. It's just incredible stuff. But what I want to do is I actually want to show you the path that they took. They're going from Egypt back to what they consider the promised land. Did you know that it's about 200, 200 plus miles? Even with thousands of people, you know how long it should have taken them? 11 days. That's the amount of time it would take to walk that trail and get back to the promised land. 11 days, a little less than two weeks. Let me show you the course that they took to get back, all right? So check out the map here. They started down in Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. Now stop it. Pause it here for a second. Where are they going? We're supposed to go up back here where Israel is, right? That's the Mediterranean Sea, kind of just to the uh, east of the Mediterranean Sea where you see those lakes and that river running between. That's that's, the Sea of Galilee, uh, the Dead Sea, the Jordan River running between them. That's where the promised land, where are we going? Hey, we're not off to a good start. We're going south here. All right, follow the line. Here's where they keep going through Exodus. Okay, where, stop, where are we going? What are you doing? It's actually down here at the very bottom where you can see on the map, there's mountains that Moses goes up on to Mount Sinai and gets the 10 commandments. You guys know this story or seen the movies. And so Moses comes down with the 10 commandments. Okay, great. Now we've got our marching orders from God, what he wants us to do, how he wants us to live. That's great. Now it should be a straight shot, right? Back up. So here's what they do. Keep it going. Again, okay, we're going in the right direction. That's good. Eh, not a straight line, but we can live with that. They're going. And now, whoa, whoa, stop it. What are we doing? What are you doing? We turned back. So we were right there on the doorstep. Do you know what happened? They got up close and they actually sent spies into the promised land. And the spies came back and said, there's no way we can ever go in there. The, the people are too big. They're huge. In fact, we look like grasshoppers next to them. That's the quote. And so they turn around and they go back. And they start fighting with each other. And they start fighting against Moses. And they start, some of them actually start saying, I wish we would have never left. I wish we could go back to being a slave. Man, at least when we were slaves, we got fed. And now we're wandering around in the wilderness. And they set up, um, they set up idols They set up these little things that they created. Instead of worshiping God anymore, they start worshiping like little, you know, statues that they created. All this from people that actually saw the miracle of God opening up like an ocean that they could walk through. God feeding them day after day, literally food coming from heaven that they're eating in the middle of nowhere. And now they're ready to abandon it all. 
And so they start going back down and they start questioning Moses' leadership. And people actually who were in the prom- or in Egypt now who head out are starting to like die. They've been out here so long. Look where they go now. They go all the way down, gosh, all the way back to where they were. And now look, finally, we're making our way. We're heading up and we hit the Jordan River. Now this should have taken 11 days. Those of you guys who know uh, the story of the scripture, anybody know how long it actually took them? 40 stinking years. Actually, it was like 38 years and something months, we think. Can you, what happened? I don't know, you know, infighting, lack of leadership, fighting that's going on between people, questioning, doubting. Guys, this isn't a story about a people that we're trying to get out of Egypt. This is our story. This is every person in this room story. You guys know. The things that actually in our lives should maybe just take a little bit end up taking us forever to get where we know we should go because we slide. We end up in our lives sliding and not deciding. And that's exactly what happened in that story. They walked through the wilderness sliding and sliding and never deciding that they were actually going to be somebody different that God had called into a new life. I can relate to that because that's my story too. I wanna read to you what happens when they get to the Jordan River. They get up on the edge of the Jordan River and God does this really cool thing God parts the Red Sea, and now, really symbolically, they get to the edge of the Jordan River. It's the springtime. The water's just going crazy down the Jordan. No, no way you could cross it. There's not bridges around. They're trying to figure out how they're going to get across this river, and God says, I'm going to stop it. In the same way I stopped and parted the Red Sea, now I am going to stop this river and provide a way for you to walk through into a new land, and there's going to be a new you when you get to the other side. I want to read Joshua chapter four. Joshua is now the leader. Joshua is the successor of Moses. After 40 years, Moses is now dead. And many of the people who left Egypt are gone too. And so there's this new generation and Joshua is the new leader. And the words you read when you start Joshua keep saying, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. It's going to take courage and strength for you to leave that old life, to stop sliding, and finally decide who you're going to be and that you're going to be somebody new, Joshua. Lead them into a new day. And so the river stops, and the thousands of people start to walk across the river, and they walk over into the new land. And I want you to see in Joshua chapter 4, the first thing God tells them to do when they reach the new land. Look at this. Joshua 4 says, when all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua. And I stop it here after verse 1 to say, who said? This is the Lord. So this is God understanding what you're going to read here. God understands what we need as people. And so he's going to direct Joshua to do something significant here. This is not just Joshua's wisdom. This is God speaking through Joshua to the people. So look what God says in verse 2. Now, choose 12 men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. So a group of them actually stopped 
in the middle of the Jordan River while the water's there. They stop as all the people are crossing by. And, Joshua, and, and the Lord's saying to Joshua, tell 12 men to go out into the middle where the priests are and carry them out, uh, uh, sorry, where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan, carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. Go get 12 stones. Go into the middle of the river. Incredible symbolism here. Go into the place where I am right in the middle of the muck with you. Go into that place where you have had this turmoil. We're going to go right into where God's faithfulness has been. God hasn't left you. God, through all these 40 years, has been right there by your side. Has, man, I would have given up on those people so fast. God didn't. I would have given up on me so fast. God doesn't. Man, if we've been on that journey where we feel like we've been wandering for 40 years and we've been sliding and not deciding on some area in our life, God's right there in the midst of it. And so he tells Joshua, get those people out there in the middle of the river, the middle of the miracle, the miracle that shows I've been with you and go get 12 and, and put them on your shoulder, right? These are, these are stone, this isn't like little things. This is like, these are big rocks. Go into the middle and pull them out. Now choose 12 men and, and carry them out, pile them out the place where you will camp tonight. Now look at verse four. Here's what Joshua does. He calls together the 12 men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel. And he told them, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. The ark is just this really cool fancy box that they built. And it's where they carry around the 10 commandments. And so these, these priests are in the middle of the Jordan River and they've got the ark. And if you want to see that, you can see it in Exodus uh, chapter 37 talks about them building the ark. Or you can just watch Raiders of the Last Ark, totally. I mean, it'll tell you everything you need to know. So, so the ark of the Lord, each of you must pick up one stone, carry it out on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We're going to use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. And these stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. Here's what's going on, you guys. God knows that we need something to mark a decision and that we're not going to be sliding anymore. We're deciding and we're going to mark it. We're going to make this a significant moment. We're going to say, I'm new. We're going to say, I'm done fighting in the wilderness. We're going to say, we're, we're never going back. We're going to go get those stones and pull them out, and the river's going to come back, and we're all in. We're committed now to a new life. We have a new identity. We're totally new people. And someday our kids are going to ask us, what do these rocks mean? And we're going to say, it means that we made a decision at one point. Guys, nobody wants to follow. You look at human history. It, nobody wants to follow people that just slid. We emulate and want to be like people who decided, who made a decision that was strong and courageous. And so the Lord is saying, do this because your kids are going to ask and their kids are going to ask. And we want to mark a decision that we made that was strong and courageous that said we're somebody new now and we are never going back to what we were. Now, if you've read the rest of the Bible, they're presented with a whole set of new challenges, right? 
It's not happily ever after. There is the rest of the Old Testament and the New Testament that proves there's more issues on the way. But what a significant moment for these people to say, this is now who I am, and I'm not going back. Guys, I want to encourage you this morning to think, where are you in your life sliding, but you're not deciding? Where are you in your life, you know, like I said before, yeah, I've been in church for a long time, and I think, I think, I'm, I think I'm a Christian, and we're kind of just sliding. Instead of actually saying, no, I believe this, and this is me now. We could do this in so many ways. Maybe it's you're in your work somewhere, and you work with these people, and you, you kind of slid around this idea of maybe I should serve them in some way or be an ambassador to them for God in some way. Maybe I should care for them in some way. And you, you, you slide with that idea, but you never decide and say, this is what God is calling me to. I'm going to mark it, and this is who I'm going to be now. Maybe, maybe you're somebody that's been in the church forever. Maybe you've been around churches for so long that, you know, you think that wow, this is great that this church wants to do some cool things in the community, that kind of thing. Yeah, 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 I've heard that before. And we start to get jaded. And we can so easily slide into that kind of thing. Instead of deciding, no, God is capable of doing amazing things that will blow us away. The Spirit is alive and well. I'm going to decide, not just slide, I'm going to decide that I believe that. We, we've had that moment as a church, honestly, I think just these last few weeks, and not just the building thing. Really, the big news for us, you guys, is where we feel like making a decision on where God is leading us over these next few years. I really hope, if you weren't able to come to our vision night a couple weeks ago, I hope you'll get on our website and look at this. We've got some clips on there, and we've got a big write-up on where we feel like over the next five years, God is leading this church. It's so easy when things are going well to start sliding. That is probably the most dangerous part of life, when things are going well. Just, yeah, it's just, man, let's just slide. And then we never end up taking risks and we never end up deciding anything that could upset the apple cart. That's when it's so important to say, I'm not gonna slide, I'm gonna decide. And I think that was a moment in the sand for us as a church where we say, we're deciding. Maybe for you, it's just around some of the stuff Bill was talking about, generosity. You know, maybe you've been given some sort of resources, and it's like, yeah, just kind of sliding with that. Maybe it's time to say, no, I'm going to be generous. Not just here, but wherever. Where, how's God, how are you going to hand that over to God and decide the things I have are not actually mine? They belong to God. Maybe there's some sort of sin that's got its grip on you. And you, and you kind of slid with it. And it's sitting right there under the surface always in your life. But we've never actually made a decision to say, God, I'm actually going to turn this over to you. Doesn't mean I'm not going to keep struggling with it. But have you made a decision to say, God, I am giving this one to you. I need your help. Maybe there's something in your past that you felt guilt about for so long where you've been like, I don't know, God could actually use me because, man, if you knew what I did. 
and you've struggled with that guilt for so long that's kind of held on to you, and maybe it's time to decide, no, that's not me anymore. I may still struggle, but the water has come through the river, and I ain't going back anymore. I'm done with that life. That's not me anymore. In a couple weeks in here, we're going to have baptisms. So why do we do that? This is why we do that. We do it to say that we believe that Jesus came, lived, died, rose again. And why? Because he wanted to take away the barrier that's between me and God. That I can walk with God in a relationship if I just say, you know what, God, I'm in. That's a pretty simple prayer, actually. God, I'm in. But that's a decision. You don't want to slide on that. You want to decide and say, this is who I'm going to be in my new identity in Christ. When somebody goes under the water or is sprinkled, you know, whichever they prefer when we do baptism, that is an incredible marker. That's going out into the riverbed and pulling a big stone up and saying, crashing it down, saying, this is me now. And I'm never going back. And I hope some of you will be a part of that here in a couple weeks. If you've been following Jesus the best you can for a while, you haven't been baptized, what an incredible way to take the stone out of the middle of the riverbed and say, this is me now. This is the marker. I'm doing this. I want to end by asking you to do something today. We don't often kind of do stuff like this, and I, I want to try something. I want you to take a moment and just pray and think, where am I sliding when I should be deciding? And make a mark of it today. So when you came in, hopefully you were given a stone, a rock, as you came in the door. Uh, and in fact, we've got some people that are uh, ready to help. If you didn't get a rock when you came in, you should raise your hand right now because Beth's got some rocks right here. So if you didn't get a rock, there's a few up here, Beth, for sure, in the front. Uh, keep your hand raised until Beth finds you, and we'll make sure that you get uh, a rock. We've got a few people walking around who can hand them out to you. Here's, here's what we're going to do. I want you to take that rock, and I want you to pray and think, God, what could I mark right now in my life where I've been sliding, and I want to I mark this and say, I'm giving this to you. I'm deciding something new today. And, and I just want you to write the word on there. We put Sharpies out for you everywhere. Take a Sharpie. And I hope you'll write whatever that is. Let me, let me give you an idea of what you could write. Here's a few things uh, that we could mark it with. You could write on the rock, I'm in. Just saying, God, I, I've been kind of, you know, around. I've been sliding in this relationship with you, and I want to say I'm in with you. It could be that you're saying, I'm forgiven. God, thank you for forgiving this thing that's happened in my life. Or forgiving. There's somebody that I have held bitterness toward maybe for years. And you want to take a moment here and mark it and say, I'm giving that to you, God. Doesn't mean it all changes the next second. But it might. Because the Spirit's capable of that. And I'm going to write forgiving down as an act of forgiving this person. It could be grace, that I want to take the free gift that God gives me in Jesus. I'm just going to write grace. I'm going to write with me. Maybe, maybe some of you are going through some of the most like the hell moment of your life. You've been wandering in the wilderness for what seems like longer than 40 years. 
but God's been with you. And you want to mark that by saying, thank you. Maybe just write with me on there to say, God, you're, I'm, I'm, I'm claiming that incredible truth that you're with me or that he's rescued me from something or that there's freedom. I'm going to write freedom because I'm saying, God, I want freedom from this thing that's the sin that's got a hold of my life. Or I'm going to write, use me. God, I feel like you're calling me to this thing and I want to mark it that you're going to use me in this way. And you just say, God, I'm giving this to you, use me. Or maybe you write, I'm not going back. Just as a way to say, I'm, I'm marking this moment as a moment I'm crossing the river and I ain't going back to the other side. I want to take a second and, and I'm going to pray for us and give you just a moment to think and pray about this. And what I'd love for you to do is, Becky's going to come up and the team's going to lead us. And just during the song, if you feel led and you write something down on that rock, just come take it up and put it up. You know, this is the first service got their pile started for us. Bring it up and set it down up on the stage and, and have it be a moment between you and God where you say, I ain't going back. This is the new me. So God, we just want to give you this moment and um, we pray that you would speak to us we pray that you would tell us to be strong and courageous. We pray that we would walk across the river to the other side in whatever area it is that you're calling us to, to be a new person, to grasp and to love that Jesus, you love us and walk with us. I pray God that by your spirit, you'd speak to us right now and lead us to Mark whatever it is in our lives that you want to call us to mark today. And so God, as we bring these rocks and set them down up here, uh, let it be a prayer to you, our prayer to you, Lord, and our gift to you to say that we love you and we don't want a wonky relationship with you. We want to love you in the same way that you love us. Let this be a moment that helps in that. In Jesus' name, amen.